Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a man you may know best as a cum laude graduate in economics and mathematics from Yale. Of course, he goes on to Columbia Law School, a member of the New York State Bar Association. Of course, now we know him best as the head coach of the Wake Forest women's tennis team. Welcome to the show, Coach Jeff Weishner. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing great, Alex. Thanks for having me. I've, I've enjoyed the uh, beginnings of some of these interviews. I've listened to a couple of them, so uh, excited to get my turn. Well, you know, it's the eight-hour rule for me as well. Maximum eight hours spent with me throughout the course <laughs> of the week. Otherwise, trust me, you exceed your limits. But I had to go through that credibility there. I know my mom listens to all of these podcasts, and she'll be like, right away, I'm in. Because, you know, Jewish mother, you hit the criteria. <laughs> uh, but I'm curious, you know, again, with that background, and I know you have tennis in your background as well, but what drew you back to college tennis? What, you know, how do you end up in the seat that you're now, you know, entering year 12 at the program? Well, well, admittedly, I'm curious if your if your mom's a fan of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel uh, on Amazon. <laughs> but um, I, actually, it's it's more so an, a question of uh, I never left. Yeah. Um, I actually I, I went into New York City in fall of '93 to, to teach high school math, and I was not from there. I, I knew nobody to play with, so I actually volunteered with the Manhattan College men's team. Um, turned out that they used the courts at the high school I was teaching at. Um, and a couple of months later, the women's coach uh, quit and they interviewed me for the job in uh, January of 2004. Um, interview went great, really told me probably not. Um, I was too young. Um, and uh, two weeks later, he called me back and offered me the job. And I figured out that I was probably the only one stupid enough to take a Division One head coaching job for $3,800 a year. <laughs> uh, so it was it was very part time. And, and I started doing that and, and uh, you know, would teach and, um, you know, sort of had no life other than sort of went from from school to practice to grading papers and, and repeat and traveling with the team on the weekend and, and we were able to get the, the Manhattan college team uh, to a pretty good place. Uh, and then I, I did some graduate work at Columbia, like you mentioned, a master's degree in educational administration um, and then a law degree. And I really thought I wanted to be an athletic director. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the reason for, for both of those. 
but I was able, I, I picked Columbia Law School because I was able to keep the coaching job while being a full-time law student. Mm -hmm. um, so I gave up the, the full-time teaching job and, and, and kept coaching. And my third year of law school, the AD comes to me and says, have you ever thought about uh, media relations? Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden I'm the sports information director uh, traveling with the men's basketball team. It was a great couple of years getting to see, you know, college sports at, in, in that, that light, um, you know, places like Arizona state for a winter tournament and the rainbow classic mm -hmm. in Hawaii and fun things like that. And, uh, but I still, I just couldn't get coaching out of my blood. Um, so an opportunity came up in 2001 to get my first, uh, full-time coaching gig, men's and women's at Fairfield. Uh, it was a great, great spot there. Uh, we had some success there and um, moved on to uh, my first place with full scholarships at, at Akron uh, in the Mid-American Conference there. And uh, was really lucky at, at there. Um, I'm rambling a little, but it was amazing that when I got to Akron, um, uh, Mac Rhodes was the AD, who's sure. the AD at Baylor now. Um, his right-hand man was Hunter Juracek, who's the AD at Arkansas now. Mm -hmm. And they brought in Jeremiah Dickey at one point, mm -hmm. who is the AD at uh, Boise State, I think. Um, now, I mean, it was just an incredible department at the time and, and doing some great things in a lot of sports. And um, Caleb Porter was the head soccer coach, and he's mm -hmm. the, the coach of the Columbus crew now up there in professional soccer. And um, you know, learned a lot while I was there and had some great mentors. Um, Claire Pollard was phenomenal and really helped me um, learn my way a little bit at that point. And um, next thing I know, the, the job at Wake came open. And with my academic background, um, it was a dream come true uh, to be able to, to, to land at a school um, where we could really offer the, uh, you know, a, a top-notch program on both sides of sides, uh, you know, campus and athletic side of things. And um, it's become a life uh, landing spot for me. What a fantastic story. That was not rambling at all. I can't even, you know, there are so many things I want to follow up on there. A, third, you know, third-year law student. Some people are going off to Kirkland Ellis in Chicago. Some people are going off to work in a legislative office. Are you sticking around on campus at that point? Are you, you know, again, because, and by the way, shout out to you knowing to get that math degree. I know all coaches are actually just mathematicians at heart balancing <laughs> those scholarships and the budgets. But I, I just can't imagine balancing, again, law school and coaching, even non-full non scholarship. I just, what a commitment. That that was the, the busiest 10 months of, of <laughs> yeah. my life. Yeah, that was, you know, we took over. It was November 1st. The basketball team didn't have a media guide done. Yeah. Um, I knew nothing of what I was doing. And, I mean, the, and the sports information office there at that point was, was me and a grad assistant. Um, and uh, I did – luck out the following year actually the grad assistant i hired in 2001 uh was darlene camacho who is now the director of media relations down at the university of georgia um <laughs> so uh you know i've had had some luck crossing paths with some incredible people but um yeah that 10 months and and uh studying for the bar exam and uh you know getting through that that summer um was was really kind of the craziest period of my life and uh, you know, one of the things I talk to my my players about, quite honestly, is is everything I did up until I was 30 was about opening doors. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't exactly sure where I was going to land, which door I was going to walk through, and and I kept opening more and more doors. Um, and then I got to to that point and and decided I wanted to coach full time. And uh, right around that time, I met my my wife, who was a track and field coach uh, as as well. And 
and she was good with with that that lifestyle um and and so right around that time i had to start to close doors and and turn down the first year associate job uh at at a at a law firm uh in, in the wall street area in new york and um and then the rest is just sort of you know followed one after another from there i just love that you're like you know what but since i'm not doing as much anymore i'll coach both the men and the women at fairfield because i just you know that's the sort of responsibility i'm used to and not to diminish your time there and you you know turning around from manhattan college you guys you know one in three when you take over that first year you're 13 and four your final year there and at akron you're nine and 13 there and nine 19 and three your final season at akron uh, what goes into you know again the the turning around of program it, turning around is a harsh word but finding success and building over time that seems to be something you have had success with throughout the course of your career and you look at the last couple of years at Wake Forest you know twenty and fourteen and twenty eighteen twenty one and nineteen and twenty nineteen we'll get to twenty twenty one but do you feel like you're at that point now with your team at, uh, down in Wake? Well, it's just, I mean, certainly what you didn't throw in there was the 12 wins in, in not per year, but in three years, uh, <laughs> my first three years at, at Wake, that was, that was a really, really tough time. And, um, you know, what I said to people at the time was it's, it's really hard to catch up to people when everybody around you is running fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the, the answer to your question in terms of, you know, Fairfield had always had a lot of success, but, um, it was actually down at the bottom of the conference when I took over there as well. And, you know, that's, that's the one place where I really say all the education I went through has taught me a, a great deal is, is that ability to, to, to look at a situation and continue to learn. Um, and, it, you know, it, took a, it definitely took a while um, at, at the ACC level um, for, for us to, for Andy and I, who's and my, my associate head coach, Andy Rowland's been with me since uh, 2008 uh, at, at Akron. And, um, you know, it took us a while to, to figure out the recipe. And, and in all four places, you know, Manhattan College was all I had to do was find, you know, a, a good uh, high school tennis player that was, <laughs> that was Catholic and interested in engineering because Manhattan College had the, you know, first undergraduate engineering program, I think, in the country. If I, if I remember my, uh, you know, liberal arts school engineering major, if I remember my recruiting pitch <laughs> right. So... Um, you know, it took, it was different things at different places and, and it took a while. And especially here, it took us a while to figure it out. But, um, you know, year six was the big turnaround. I remember, um, the day we beat, uh, it was, I think they were number eight in the country. We, we won four, three last match on court over a UVA team that featured Daniel Collins and Julia Baba, um, both of whom we had tried to get to come here. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was that was the moment we knew we were going to make the NCAAs for the first time. And, and now we've made five straight, you know, if you, assuming you don't count 2020 where nobody made it. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we've kind of sort of cemented ourselves into that you know, pretty consistently in that top 32. Um, and, and hopefully this year, as we'll talk about it more later, is we'll take that next step. Yeah. And no, to your point, you know, again, looking at the success you, your team has had over, you know, really dating back the, these five consecutive NCAA tournaments, 19 and 10 in 2016, 18 and 11, 2017, 20 and 14, 21 and 9. You look at last year's record, 12 and 13 overall. I still, when you look at this team, and obviously you guys make the second round of the NCAA tournament, 
I feel like this team was as good as as teams in years past, and I think that record is just a byproduct of how ridiculous the ACC conference was last year in women's tennis. Is that a fair assumption to make? Uh, that and and just some challenges that we faced. You know, we had uh, we had a number four player from the year before who who studied both semesters uh, at home in India. Um, you know, Lisa Omro, who had played top two for us. You know, after she went home in March of uh, you know, of 2020 didn't come back until early February. Uh, you know, we lose it. We lose a close match on the road um, to at Furman. Um, you know, the for her first match back, and and she loses a singles match at you know I think fifth single, or fourth or fifth singles that day, and um, and we were still missing at that point. Uh, you know, our our incredible uh, you know go to number one player Carolyn Campana, who's been who's made such a difference for us. Um, over the last few years and and she was out with an injury that first month so uh and then we turned around in early april and and even though we were already a week and a half past vaccination we actually got uh we had an outbreak one player tested positive and eight players got quarantined and you know we played uh we played uva pretty tough but shorthanded um, Anya Brillen, who was amazing for us, uh, got hit in the back of the head with a serve and got a concussion and, and sort of lost her momentum. So it was just, we left a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of meat on the bone last year. Um, you know, a club, pretty close loss at Tennessee, a pretty close loss, uh, at Furman. Um, the, uh, you know, we lost, we probably our, our worst match of the year was that we, we didn't play well and, and Notre Dame played great, uh, especially in the doubles and, uh, we lost a we lost a close one there as well, and and then we played ODU without two of our top three players, and and lost a close one to them at home. So, you know, you turn around three of those four matches, which really we felt we could have with a full lineup, um, and we were probably hosting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and and ultimately, I mean, I, I think you know uh, Jeff and Drake down at at Georgia were really complimentary when I, we talked to them after the second round match. Um, you know, we gave them one of the toughest matches they had had in months you know we were uh we lost a three-setter to decide it we were up 5-1 in the third on another match uh Casey Wooten was leading uh Eleni Christoffi I think it was either 5-1 or 5-2 when when she got stopped and and Carolyn and and Jokic were going uh, just about to start the third set Mm -hmm. so um you know we lost that three set Lisa lost that three-setter there and and uh you know we didn't get to go through and finish the other two but um, you know, that was when we were healthy that, you know, you could see we, we beat Georgia Tech uh, when we really when we were at our best uh, and had a really good uh, indoor win over Central Florida, uh, actually, when we were shorthanded. So it was, a, you know, it was a, it was one of those years. I mean, we were thrilled to play uh, and as everybody was last year. And uh, but we we also got a lot of experience for our freshmen. And, you know, we made the choice not to bring seniors back. Uh, you are absolutely right. The ACC was loaded um, out of the top 10 teams other than us. There were 18 super seniors mm-hmm. um, in the conference. And, uh, you know, it was there were a lot of there were six teams in the top 12 or something like that. And and then us in Miami were sitting there in the middle. And, and then there were some teams that sort of down below 40. But we didn't get a lot of those matches between 15 and 40 that we really uh, would have would have been the best place to play last year, too. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. When, again, looking at the team, and you know, the good news is you bring back everyone but Elisa, right? And so everyone got a bunch of match experience last year. I want to talk about the doubles for a second. I believe thirteen and twelve overall in doubles points last year. And you know, looking through your roster, you played ten different teams throughout the course of the season, and you know that is on, I suppose, the slightly higher side. Now I know last fall was tough for everyone because you didn't have the normal playing opportunities you you would to flush out sort of lineups so i'm curious when you get to that 10 numbers that searching for combinations trying to get everyone comfortable what leads to that number uh you know certainly some of the players coming in and out um mm-hmm, sure. you know and and actually anya and brooke know this story well and, and obviously they won all americans this fall and we, we you know, have become quite something and, and amazing and finished the year number two uh, they weren't going to be together yeah. Um, they, if we had had a normal fall and, and season to come back, you know, Lisa Omaru and, and MC Meredith had been all American the year before, um, MC had graduated and moved on to a graduate year at Tulane. And, uh, really the plan was to probably put, uh, Brooke with Eliza. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Lisa didn't come back until February. And so we had to play some matches and we, we put Anya and Brooke together. Uh, interestingly, two partners that Elisa had had over like a couple years, um, and and they just clicked and and took took things over, and, and we never separated them since, and um, have done a great job of of like adding to their their repertoire. Um, they're a unique doubles team, and and so uh, there was definitely there were just there were COVID reasons and return to play and injury reasons and. Uh, we've also been pretty fortunate. Um, I think part of that's a little bit how we typically recruit um, is, you know, we will, we have, you know, this year it's like trying to figure out which six players that can play doubles is, is difficult because we've got, we've got 10 players who can play good doubles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, we we're comfortable when we need to, to, to put somebody in there and, and put them in that role. They're ready to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to nerd out here a little bit. I'm curious throughout your tenure in college tennis, and I know it obviously will differ uh, between the men and the women, but has serving and volleying been de-emphasized in doubles? Is that not something you preach perhaps as much as it was preached to you once upon a time? Well, just, I, I think you saw, and this goes back to a little bit coaching the men and the women. Um, mm-hmm. There was, you know, obviously there was the, the guys would serve and volley a lot and you, you go back to really the first team I noticed it with, um, and I, I think you I think you mentioned um, him with uh, your interview with Tony uh, a couple of days ago um, was Damajan at UVA, sure. and and I remember watching him, and all of a sudden you have this you know giant on the court, um, and he's serving and and cracking forehand. Um and that was one of the first times I noticed it. Um, as you can tell, I'm a little bit of a a, a tennis nerd and, and watching things that didn't didn't apply to me at that point in time. That's why you know, we're that's a great match here. There we go. Um, but you saw that you saw the guys transition into a lot more serve and and staying one up one back and and just being able to have that baseline person um, stay so aggressive and and set their net person up more. Um, you know the interesting thing I think is that happened. I thought the women's game actually started to. Act a little more servant volley than they had in the in the 90s and, and 2000s and and so you'll see it a little bit more um you know now it, you know i think it's it's sprinkled in um but uh you know there's i think most teams do emphasize you know hey the baseline player's got to set up the net player 
Um, and there are, you know, there are ways to play one up, one back uh, well and, and to do things that don't apply when you're two up. Um, and, and so that's one of the places, you know, we've focused a lot on and trying to get that baseline player to, to really know the best ways to set up that net player. Yeah, it's fascinating. And again, that doubles point now, one set, no ad scoring, it's Russian roulette. And so it is interesting to hear all of the different strategies and what goes into, uh, you know, that point. And, you know, you mentioned the success you guys had with Anya and Brooke last year. And I want to talk about Anya specifically because, you know, I think she went 10 and 5 in singles as a freshman. And obviously, that's a pretty good performance for any first year player. But you look at, you know, the jump she made last season in particular, 13 and 3 at the number three singles position. That's a standout number, and 15-8 and eight overall in the dual match season. What clicked so well for her last year, not only on the doubles court, but in singles as well? Uh, I mean, she's, first of all, she's she's just so smart and such a hard worker. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of that, you know, but, um, she's, the, she's the person, I, I asked her once, I think in fall of her freshman year, like, oh, you know, give me a scouting report so I can take <laughs> notes so we'll have it in the spring. And, and she, she went off for three to four minutes and I was like, wow. (laughs) Um, so, I mean, she's just, she's an incredibly, uh, bright, you know, student and tennis player and, and, and so good about identifying her strengths and weaknesses and, and finding that. So, you know, she really, she came into her own, um, you know, got much more confident off the baseline and, and and third singles we've been saying for several years is, is kind of that really tough spot um for for teams to to keep their depth through in the acc um if you can be successful at three then you 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 probably have a pretty darn good team because a lot of people run run good teams out there at one and two um you know and teams who maybe don't have a two you know the lineup gets a a, you know you get three stays strong you know you end up trying to split spots or whatever so just third singles just seems to be a real sort of bellwether of how good your team is and, and Anya being able to step in there and, and be successful there uh, was really impressive. And, um, you know, actually, and I, I think she's only continued to improve since then. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the doubles actually has helped her a lot as well um, because, uh, you know, she's she's been forced in doubles not to back off of anything and, and really develop the confidence now that, hey, I, I, I don't have to time the ball. I don't have to, you know, she always likes to take the ball early. You know, now she's taking big swings and taking the ball early. And, and it's great to see. And I mean, she is, um, she is, she is absolutely brilliant in terms of placing serves. Um, best I've ever coached with regard to that. Um, and, uh, and very talented as an all court player. So, um, you know, she's got some, she, she has some things there that aren't typical to see in the women's game as well. Yeah, and obviously her and Brooke had had some success last year, but you look for Brooke uh, as a freshman to come in and just, you know, to click the way she did, and obviously you look for her on the singles court, a pretty successful season for her as well. Uh, Just again, for any freshman to come in and play that sort of role, what worked so well for her last season? In particular, it felt like you guys had a young team. Like, again, everyone's back this year. Were you surprised to, uh, to see? I mean, or I guess what sort of growth did you see throughout the course of the year? Well, I was going to say, you know, Brooke came in in the fall, um, even though we weren't competing in the ACC and, and looked fantastic. And, and we, we put her into a really, you know, challenging spot in the lineup, partly because Elise and Carolyn weren't there. And, and we go into our first four matches last January and, 
she's up in the third on on Stolmar from from Central Florida, who was was just a unbelievable player and and she's leading julia byrne from northwestern and she's got a third set lead on rebecca mertana uh from tennessee i mean she went through this gauntlet of matches and was playing great um and and whether it was clinch clinch or or some players coming from behind on her um you know didn't get the win and uh you know it, it sort of it it just you know confidence is such an important thing and it just kind of it went against her a little bit early and it, it took a while later in the year it, it really started to click in uh, she got a big three-step win against georgia tech um i think it was Ava rastar she played and that was a good win and, and the later in the year she she started getting uh getting going and, and playing much better um but you know one of the great things she did was she she stepped on the double score all the time and 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 kept bringing it um and and that was obviously critical um, even though, you know, and really a tribute to her her mental toughness that she could probably, you know, her mind struggle on the singles court a little bit, but still make a big difference for us uh, day in, day out in doubles. And, you know, they go to the NCAA tournament and, and they go, they draw the number one seed, which was a team from Kentucky at that time. And they win the first set, which, you know, just knock down, drag out first set. And, you know, we end up losing a match tiebreaker, but it was kind of a sign of, of how good they were getting by that point in the year. And, um, you know, the, uh, the other really cool thing, uh, anytime I talk about Brooke, it's hard not to talk about, about Mia and Casey as well. Cause it's yeah, just yeah. a, it's a great freshman group, a sophomore group. Now, um, they were, we don't, we actually typically don't room freshmen together. Um, we like them to meet somebody else, maybe develop a support network away from the team. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that oftentimes most most of the last 12 years, the players have then been choosing to live together. Um, but uh, we had to, for COVID reasons, put them together and, and they just bonded and, and really helped each other through the year. And, and um, you know, Mia's a, always been a, you know, a little bit behind uh, from a tennis standpoint because she tore her ACL in her senior year of high school. Um, but when I was recruiting them, Brooke and Mia went three sets together at winter nationals. So, um, you know, she's, she's a phenomenal player in her own right. And, and then Casey Wooten has uh, really been quite the story over the last 10 months. Um, she wins the deciding match for us over central Florida, but, uh, she did it by defending her way through the match Two freshmen. And, and she just wasn't gonna, you know, she was, she, she was, defending away and, and fortunately uh leslie uh missed enough shots for us to win that third set um but we talked a lot after that match about wanting to be in more more in control of her own destiny and uh she's really worked on developing that offensive assertive side of her game and and now you know more often than not she's in charge um you know had that confidence builder against georgia that i mentioned before you know where she was on the verge of winning that and took it into the summer and had some good results over the summer and, and now she comes back in the in the fall and and you know she was sort of odd man out in our doubles lineup last year but you know now she's 58th in the country in singles and she's uh 15th in the country with with sam martinelli in doubles um and and obviously just just a phenomenal college player at this point are there bragging rights between Sam and Anna and, you know, Brooke, like, I was an All-American champion first. And it's like, no, well, now we're All-American champions. We've stolen your thunder. You're no longer the defending champ. Uh, it is pretty It's pretty cool to have have three. I, we had asked for a wild card for, uh, for Sam and Casey, 
mm-hmm. um, for for all Americans saying, "Hey, you should have the defending champs there." Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, at least the defending champ, but and and Jesse Gong from Yale was there. Yeah. Um, but we didn't get the wild card, and then that week later, we went to the Kitty Harrison tournament, and um, Casey and and Sam won. You know, four good matches there, and. and um, you know, they would have been nice to see them at that tournament as well because they were pretty good. It would be nice to see Jesse and Sam get to pair together, play Anya and Brooke, and be like, this is for all the marbles. The 20-pound <laughs> trophy. We'll lay it out there. Winner takes it all home. But, no, again, you, you know, talking about your team, and I, I want to transition towards this fall, and obviously, again, big ITA All-American doubles success uh, was the standout result. But, you know, you look at the roster, and, you know, Carolyn and Anna were at the number one and two spots last year. But I think, and, and you, you talked about the growth from Carolyn and both of them throughout the course of the year but the depth on your team is what stands out it does feel like you've got you know six seven eight girls you could start spitting a dartboard kind of throw it at and say all right you're playing one all right you're two you're four you're five whatever it may be how you know how has that depth shown through this fall uh it certainly has made practices competitive um that's certainly a a big thing and and you know tennis players uh, you know they, they're pretty quick to see the writing on the wall. And, and so the, the competitiveness there um, to try to establish, hey, this is where I, you know, stake out my spot in the starting lineup uh, is, is certainly that's been been fiercely competitive. And it's great to see, see players come out and practice and, and be able to, to, you know, compete with each other um, because, you know, by pushing each other, the team's only going to get better. So uh, that was certainly a big part of it. And, um, you know, we, we, you do look at teams that are are really successful. Um, you know, everybody's going to be you know tough at at one, two, three. So you know, you, you, it's not easy to win matches by winning a doubles point and top three singles. That's not going to happen very often. Um, but hopefully, you can you can hold your own in that top part of the lineup. And and then you see teams you know like UNC last year with how incredible you know tran and crawley were at the bottom of their lineup and mm-hmm. uh nc state was pretty pretty darn similar uh with with the bottom of their lineup and and you, you know you you look at pepperdine you look at texas or whatever and they're, they're rolling out a top of the lineup that's going to compete with anybody and then they're you know they're, then you're getting those 20 and threes and 19 and fours and um you know what, what, what way we talk about a dual match you'll find this interesting a little bit is um you know we we want we're, we're hoping to get two matches that we run away and hide and get it and post a point. Um, and uh, we're going to have two matches that maybe, you know, in a close match that aren't going our way. And, and we challenge our players and said, you got to just push it to a third set, you know, find a way, find a way to get to that third set. Um, keep your player out on the court while our other, our other two players maybe post points for us. Um, and then you have two that are just sort of knockdown drag outs from the very beginning. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really it's a it's a big thing in college tennis. If you have a player who's mentally tough enough to to win that second set, you know, and, and keep the keep, you know, not all of a sudden be down, you know, one, three or two, four or something and, and pull a coach away from another match uh, where maybe, you know, they're really trying to help a player through and, and have to come back over just to to just to put a point up there that you're probably going to get one way or the other sooner or later. Um, so, you know, that's, and, and that's a great lesson for people when we talk about transitioning to professional tennis, because when you're talking about four or five matches in a week, 
um, you can't go to three sets <laughs> every single time and have anything left. You know, the players who are, when it comes to fall tournaments or, you know, circuit events or, you know, anything at that level that people are trying to do, you know, if you can post a six four six two, uh, you're a lot better off for the next round than that person who just had to go six four in the third. Yeah, and you know, when you look at the role of the fall, and this has been something I've wanted to explore with all these coaches because talking to SEC men's coaches in particular, they rave about the hidden duels, how well those hidden duels prepared them for the college tennis, you know, spring dual match season. When you are focusing and, you know, when you talk to any coach, you ask them what the role of the fall is. To a T, they'll say development. Is that development best served by team dual matches or is it best served by, you know, the individual format I suppose we have now? Is is there a healthy blend you're looking for? We've been we've been using the hidden duel for about six or seven years now. Okay. Um, and I, I like it as the last event of the fall. Okay. Um, and we've been really going back to Mike Patrick at Tennessee and now Allison there. Um, they've typically hosted a great uh, hidden duel event around uh, around Halloween weekend. Um, so so we like to start. We like to have a couple um, tournament events lead up to regionals as sort of a, you know, focus on that. And, and that gives people enough time to so that we feel a little, it's a little more fair for us to be saying to somebody, okay, this is kind of where our lineup's at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we don't, um, you know, I saw a few more teams take a hidden duel in September. That's, that's typically not our goal. We, we want to put people in and, and hopefully make the tournament as challenging as possible for them. And, um, you know, we'll, in some cases we'll let, you know, the tournament director will decide, okay, who's going to be in which draw uh, based on you know using UTRs a little sure. bit, et cetera. But so we do like that. We I like the fl- the flighted or or even a big draw earlier in the fall. Transition that into regionals, which has always been a great way to for people to focus and gear up for um, you know how much progress have we made in six weeks at that point, and and then and then roll into a hidden duel, which is a great experience for a freshman in particular. Which this year is the first time in my coaching career we don't have a freshman. So, uh, but it is a great way to, you know, get that exposure to what the, the dual match environment's like and, and get ready for January. So with that all said, would you be in favor or against moving the NCAA individual tournament to the fall? I am passionately against it. Oh, uh, good. I like passion. Uh, Let's hear it. I, the, I, I don't see how you're going to be able to, to get a field well situated. I think that's a very big deal. Uh, but my biggest concern, and, and you talk about development for the fall, I, I, you know, as as a college tennis coach, you know, matches are great and we want to win, but certainly, you know, the experience that our players have, you know, it is, even for players who go on, most players who go on to professional tennis, it is the greatest experience of their tennis career. Um, and it's also our role to, you know, you can develop a lot as a tennis player between 18 and 22. You think about what you are as a tennis player from 14 to 18, you should be a very different player at 22 than you are at 18. And you're not going to develop players. I don't think you're giving them a very good experience if you're pulling them off the court, not having finished matches. Um, You know, we've played Georgia almost every year in NCAAs um, just because of the regionalization rule that the NCAA has. And you get, you get somebody who hasn't finished a match in two months. Um, and that's, I just think that's just terrible. I, you know, I, I do remember when Noah Rubin was here on our guys' side, like, you know, people were coming to see him play. 
mm-hmm. and uh, you know the team wasn't what it is now, and and they were, you know, but maybe they weren't going to beat a top five or top ten team, but you know him going head to head against a top ten player in the in the country, you're going to sit there and watch them play for three hours, and then you're going to decide that oh, not going to finish. It's five four in the third, but sorry everybody, go home. Um, and that's only going to happen. That's happened a lot more. Um, I don't agree with conferences who have gone the clinch clinch. Um, you know, if you look at the ACC, we've had a lot more uh, success getting players into NCAA singles and doubles and also getting all American honors, uh, partly because we don't play clinch clinch during our regular season um, and, and those results and, and the experience of finishing matches um, is fantastic. And, uh, the other thing I hate is I hate seeing players like looking at the scoreboard being like, ah, I'm not going to get to finish. What does this matter? You know, at, at that point in time as well. So, um, you know, I think, I think the rankings, we, we have been exciting to try to get like our teams into doubles or singles. So we're looking at those rankings in March and April and waiting for them to come out and trying to get a big win. You know, we, we were, we were shorthanded at ACC's last year. Carolyn had gotten hurt, played through the Syracuse first round win wasn't able started warm up couldn't play against unc and you know but that day was a huge success because we got a win at number one doubles that got a team into ncas um and and they knew it going into the match they were right on the bubble of whether or not they were going to get in so um there's just a lot, lot to play for a lot about development um i think if you move it to to november you're going to lose a lot of that um too many coaches are just going to want to play clinch clinch because they care about that WRL on their record and, mm-hmm. and not about really helping their players develop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, as a side note, I, I tried to push something uh, to coaches a couple years ago, which um, didn't, didn't get as far as I hoped it would. Um, you know, and I think if you think about what our great products are, you know, team dual matches, we get fans to team dual matches. I would love us see have a uh, doubles only format in the fall season uh two out of three three doubles matches simultaneous best out of three sets with match tiebreakers um you could host four teams and play two matches in a day and very easy on six courts um have six courts on there and you know much like beach volleyball benefits you know volleyball benefits from having sport having beach volleyball as a separate sport you know we could have a conference championship and ncaa championship in a six-person doubles uh environment and play that play that championship in November and then leave and then you could do doubles as an individual championship then and then you could do singles as an individual championship in May uh, which would make the the May tournament more manageable than it is now because that is that is a bit of a beast to host uh, yeah. all the way yeah. through there so yeah, yeah. but uh, well, and, and the other thing about doubles is there's a lot more parity um, you know they whereas you wouldn't get the same top five or top ten teams uh, in there you know the year i was really pushing the idea um the only undefeated double school in the country was oklahoma uh and we we had been the only team in the country to beat north carolina in doubles that year uh that was the covid spring um so you know it would be a, be a lot of fun to have uh you know wake versus duke and wake versus unc and georgia versus florida and stanford versus us ucla and, and doubles only yeah, no, I think all of those would be fun. I'm going to play devil's advocate. And for the record, I appreciate you breaking down in depth and the candidness there. Um, and that is what has made this series so fun. 
And there are a bunch of different things I want to follow up on in that answer. But first would be the idea of the rankings, because if you're going to move it into the fall, how do you figure out who plays there? Would you would – te- would college tennis benefit from a rolling ranking where it's just a 12-month constant you know, 52-week churn and when seniors graduate, they're taken out – or you know, when players leave college tennis, they're taking out of the rankings. But other than that, it's constantly rolling and you know, you're factoring in not just the one season but you know, the past season's results as well. Uh, it's an interesting idea. I wonder I, – I, I would worry a little bit about the impact on for freshmen. Okay. Um, because they'd be at a really big disadvantage as if all the results from the the previous spring were to count. Um, but um, it might be better than the um, – it would be nice to maybe have something a little more throughout the fall um, mm-hmm. as a way to do it. Um, I do think they that another idea that I've had is I think doubles rankings should be uh, – there should be an individual player doubles ranking. Um, because you, you know, especially in the fall tournaments, you could play, you know, two players who are, who end up on top 10 doubles teams, you know, and they played with each other just for a particular event and you got a great win and it ends up actually being nothing, um, Mm -hmm. because they aren't ranked as a team by, by March or April. So, um, you know, I, I, I like to see a, a individual doubles ranking, similar to what the pro tours use where the players have a doubles ranking that that leads to a seeding basis for teams um just so that uh when teams you know you know if, if you play somebody and somebody's out with an injury or something you know you you might win at number one doubles over you know two phenomenal players but they aren't they are, they've only played three or four times all year together and and you get nothing or or in particular if you lose to them it counts as an unranked loss uh, which can really hurt your ranking uh, with how that those formulas work. So, well, with uh, those formulas in mind, would you be fine? Because there's two schools of thoughts, right? College tennis rankings should reflect college tennis results. College tennis rankings should reflect who the best players in the country are. You know, notably, there's no Draxel, there's no Navarro in these December rankings. How serious can you take a set of rankings with that sort of outlier? You know, would you be fine with things such as UTR or pro results being factored into those rankings to try and make them more accurate, or should it be college-centric? I, well, I'm not somebody I, I, who is big on the pro circuit events in the fall. Sure. Okay. So, um, you know, the uh, you know to play a good pro circuit event also typically is going to mean like maybe a whole week of classes missed, which is which is not an easy thing to do at do at Wake. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I like things that bring us back. That's another reason why I think having a uh, school versus school doubles only format in the fall would be would be great um, because it would promote college tennis. It would give us a great TV product um, for two to three months when tennis channels probably searching for content more than they are in, in March, April, and May as well. Um, so I, anything that I, I think doing college specific is fine. And the other side of that is, does the ranking really mean anything until April anyway? Yeah. And so, you know, it's nice to have to look at, but it's a lot like the college uh, football rankings in September and October. Um, they're great for conversation and, and they're great for, for giving a team a pat on the back or, um, you know, but they ultimately their conversation pieces and, and you don't have to, if, if, if you're familiar with it and you know the system, you don't have to take it too seriously until the point in time when they get better. Um, 
you know the you get that those huge swings in the rankings when it goes from the vote to the computer model um and it's like you know hey that's fine you know it is what it is it's going to go up and down and it's going to you know i mean as the math math person it's it's going to approach a certain uh value over time and it, it has that that nice little uh curve like oscillation there for four or six weeks and and by april it, it it actually does a pretty good job of ranking teams and players in the right spot yeah no it, it's fair to say and again as someone who talks about college tennis, I suppose it is the conversation piece for me. Um, but no, it, it, I think that's a very fair perspective. And I, the real thing is it comes down to the NCAA tournament, right? And it's like, do you want the 64 best players or do you want the reflection of 64, however the math sees it here for the season? Like that, I suppose, is the significance of the rankings. But to get full circle here... For me, it's all about finding a way to, you know, dreaming big, get the NCAA second week of individuals and that se- or uh, get that NCAA individuals second week of the U.S. Open because that's the platform. That is the scene. You're looking for ways to fill a second week of a Grand Slam as well. Now, 0.1% of athletic departments would sponsor seniors to come back to play a tournament when they are no longer students in the school. But to me, it's just like, I guess to get to a big picture here, it's like, it's a product thing. I don't think the product of college tennis has any flaws with it. I think it's very marketable. I think it's very sellable. And I just think if you see a college tennis match, you're going to enjoy it. I think it's more of a marketing issue. Like, I, I mean, that to me is where it comes down to growing the sport. It's about marketing it better. And that's not a criticism of the ITA. It's just to me, that's the pathway to growth. And I, I think, I mean, that's not an idea I've heard tossed, talked around very much. But hmm. playing the NCAA singles and doubles championship you know, in flushing at that time would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You don't have to change a single thing in terms of how you do selections. Yeah. You could, you could make your selections based on exactly what you do now. Um, maybe you actually include the team tournament all the way through, or, or just maybe you actually do just stop it because teams that got farther would have too many extra opportunities. Sure. So you, you make the selections May 1st. You know what would be great about that? Boy, those players, especially the ones coming back, would be practicing their butt off all summer long to be able to go to go there and, and represent really well. Um, and and we do fight, especially I, I think most women's coaches would agree with me. You know, one of the big challenges for us is is getting players to, to train hard and uh, do as much during the summers in college as they did during the summers of, of high school. Um, you know, it's a lot harder for a you know, 18, 19, 20 year old woman to go on the road and stay in hotels by herself. And, um, you know, there's a lot of parents and, and players who aren't going to be comfortable with that, um, uh, you know, from a, from a safety standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is harder to get people those tournaments when they're all of a sudden out of the juniors or out of their junior academies where they would travel with a group. Um, so, you know, I think there's, you know, 80% of college players don't play as much tennis in college as they did in high school. Yeah, no, and I, that's obviously, you know, getting to the developmental side, uh, and I, I'm going to rapid fire here through some rule thoughts, and I'm curious what you think. Eight-hour rule, you know, in, in this part of the season, particularly three months before the start of the dual match season to have a dead period, that feels a little counterintuitive, but, you know, the eight-hour rule, the 25 dates, is that enough? Is that reflective of the modern demands in tennis? I, I'm not a big fan of the 20. I mean, I've been the head coach since 94. So I remember before 25 dates and I'd like to see that number be a little bigger um, because, uh, you know, we're picking 
and choosing in the fall what we can do. And, and as I said a moment ago, um, if you look at the number of matches people play, they're, they're typically playing 70, 80 matches as a junior player. Um, and, and it's weird for college tennis to, to take them backwards in terms of how much they play. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm okay with, uh, with the eight hour concept and, and having that be, you know, time where players have to be internally motivated and, and, you know, we don't get as much time on the court and the team, the captain's got to lead the team a little bit or something. I don't think having a little bit of that time, we usually have like two weeks at the beginning of the year and another three or four in November. Um, I'm not averse to that as much as, uh, and that way if they need to study or they need to do something else, they can. Um, but I, I do think the 25 dates uh, would be better served at, at 27 or 28 and, and actually might improve player safety because we wouldn't have to push the double headers uh, quite as much as we do at 25. Yeah, I, I, fair to say. Would you be fine with the 500 rule staying away forever? I like the 500 rule. Okay. Um, I think I'm in a minority on that from a Power 5 conference. Um, but I remember it, you know, my Akron team, my last year there, um, we had just finally really turned a corner. They won They won two conference championships after I left in a row, first two in school history. Um, sadly, there's not a program there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we, you know, that year we were able to get, we played Penn State, we played Louisville, we played Michigan State. Um, we won all three of those on the road. Um, I certainly wouldn't have gotten this opportunity without those kinds of wins, uh, you know, improving that that team could compete at the power five level. Um, it was obviously an amazing experience for our players to, to go to those schools and, and win those matches. Um, and I, I'd hate to see, uh, I think what would happen scheduling wise in terms of, because the, the, the ITA ranking system rewards wins, Mm -hmm. uh, losses are almost, uh, painless in terms of rankings. So you've got it. Well, how do you get to your nine big wins? And, and if there's no 500 rule, then you could just go ahead and roll out there, you know, 20 really top matches. And, and quite honestly, you know, you catch a couple teams on a bad day or you, you know, you, you, you know, we see that every year, somebody gets a win because somebody else is missing a player or two and that just changes their ranking for the whole year. So um, I think you'd only compound that if you got rid of the 500 rule. I think having people have to, to schedule a little more broadly is a, is a positive thing. Should the um, oh sorry no I no I, that's I, it yeah well, well with that in mind should the NCAA champ get a wild card regardless of nationality yes yeah absolutely so I, I despite like the answer. fact that despite the fact that my team's typically eighty or ninety percent American <laughs> um, but uh, yes uh, yeah absolutely I mean USDA should promote college tennis and and part of promoting college tennis is that that singles and doubles uh, those singles and doubles champions. Um, should be there and and um you know quite honestly i i put them on a on a court and try to make a bigger deal out of it when they play their match too yeah i'm all in favor for that um all right again bouncing around here i do want to give you the opportunity because uh, so many coaches or so many parents fans players they just you know they haven't heard your voice before and so i'm curious give me the pitch why should i come down to winston-salem why should i be a demon deacon uh, it's two-sided. I mean, first and foremost, you talk about it from a tennis program. Um, I tell a story about when I was driving here in 2010, trying to 
here on how how I wanted to build the program, and, and we wanted to build it around ex the experience that players would have and the development they would get here. Um, and and that those are the two foundations of our program, as I mentioned before. College tennis experience should be often and and often is the culminating and most spectacular event experience of anyone's college time. Um, you talk to almost any junior player, they'll tell you zonals was the most fun they ever had. Um, and, and so we want that experience to, to be fantastic and memorable. And we want your teammates to be your bridesmaids one day, um, things like that. So that's certainly critical. And then the development side of it has to come with it. Um, you know, I, I remember hearing stories about Brian Sheldon's championship team at Georgia Tech. And he wasn't, you know, as people described it to me, is he wasn't getting, you know, the top five player, you know, the top five blue chips in the country weren't, you know, beating down the door to go to Georgia Tech at that point in time. But but he and, and his assistant were better at developing them than everybody else was. So they found players and, and, and did that work. And um, so those are the two things that are important for us. You know, we're really proud of, you know, taking, uh, you know, taking some players who were maybe 50 to 70 on tennisrecruiting.net and, you know, MC Meredith became an All-American and Chandler Carter was number 11 in the country in doubles. And, and you know, uh, we, you know, and then played people like Kimmy Guerin, who, who was not ranked number, number 80, number 50, number 30, you know, taking players like that. And, um, you know, Carolyn, you know, she's so motivated herself and a great player, you know, but, she, you know, she went from playing four or five for, for Vanderbilt and came in and following year, she's really successful for us at number one and, and had an amazing regionals, you know, two, two months after she got here where she had two top 20 in the country wins. Um, so, so those are the two foundational pieces of what we try to do. Um, and then the other side, you, you can't come to wake without wanting, wanting both sides of it. Um, you know, we're looking for players who who want to be challenged uh, in everything they do, and because it'll make them the best possible person, uh, and prepare them for the best possible life. Whether uh, for, we hope that's on the tennis court for as long as possible, um, but uh, you know, Wake's an amazing place. I wasn't that familiar with it growing up, um, but you know, it's it's the smallest Power Five school in the country. Our class sizes more than fifty percent of our classes are under twenty students. Um, you know, our football team was doing great this fall. We had 90% of the student body was sitting at the games. Um, the, the joy that our university takes in athletics and, and support of athletics um, is fantastic. And, and it's just, it's, it's an all around experience that you can, that you can have here. And, and as tennis coaches, it's our job to add to it with the experience on the court, with the team and, and developmentally. Yeah, I know. I love it. Well, then, with that in mind, rapid fire down the home stretch. If you'd like to expand on more than yes or no, you're more than welcome to. But I've got some format tweaks for you. And just, you know, okay. let's have some fun with it. Well, let's just start. No ad scoring. Has it grown on you, or are you would you go back to ad? I like no ad scoring. It, it creates a lot of pressure. It, it you know, um, one all, you know, one all in the first set, you'll actually get to see both players play with pressure. Yeah. And, and it's, it's rare in normal scoring to see both players, uh, feel pressure and, uh, and it's very good. It ultimately, it's really good developmentally to, uh, have your weaknesses exploited throughout a match, not just at five, four in the third. I love that. All right. Would you be in favor? You get one ninety second timeout per match. You get to just bring the girls in timeout coach Weisher, 
Weissner, first first time out and only time out. And you just, you know, you get to bring him in, all in, send him back out. I love it. I, 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 in eighth grade, I said I wanted to be a college basketball coach when I grew up. Um, so, cause that's at that point I wasn't playing tennis. And so I, and I coached some pretty good basketball, um, uh, was fortunate. I had a, had a, inherited a player at the high school level who, who went on and played at Stanford and then for the New York Liberty. So, uh, we were, we were dominating, uh, the, the prep school league around New York city and boy, you know, wearing a suit and tie and pounding on a basketball floor and calling a timeout was, was, was a joy. So I'd love to get back as close to that as possible. You get one substitution as well in or out of any match you can put in and pull one player. hundred percent. Yes. Uh, It is the most difficult thing in the world that our sport doesn't allow subs. You can't reward a player who's busting their butt in practice. Um, it, It would be great to, you know, you get to senior day and, and you watch a basketball senior day and all the seniors get to start the match and, and you get to a senior day in tennis and seniors are on the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to see some sort of uh, substitution uh, allowance uh, in there somehow. I love it. All right, last two questions for you. Coin toss, wasted opportunity. I think it should go out one point, head coaches, head-to-head, drop and hit, winner decides the serving arrangements. Uh <laughs> you know, probably, I, I've heard I, I've, I've heard you ask this question before so given that I'm over 50 and I could <laughs> I could say send Andy out there um I might be a little bit more okay with it but I also was a servant volleyer so ground strokes are not my cup of tea so uh, uh, uh you know maybe if we could do it volley volley I'm in fair or rock paper scissors let's just get the competition going right away like that's what I'm maybe. talking about paper wins most right yeah 40 percent play that's the numbers <laughs> come on that's what i appreciate it yeah all right. all right my last question for you uh it's a little sappy i apologize but when fans watch your team compete this season what do you want their takeaway to be um I, interestingly there was a there was a, a girl who who uh, broke our heart by choosing notre dame over us about seven or eight years ago uh it was uh ali miller great great tennis player great person um went there was very successful and and we we wanted her to come here so badly um but she told me once that she loved wake forest's colors uh (laughs) the black and gold because they were both fierce and classy um so i get that's what pops into my head when you say i want i want people to, to see us as fierce out there um, but I also expect us to represent the university, represent ourselves, represent our teammates, uh, represent our families uh, in a in a very classy way as well. So um, it's important to us that, that we do those two things. Yeah, no, I love it. And again, right off the bat, kickoff weekend, things going to be tough for your team. You're going to Raleigh, NC State, Northwestern, Wake Forest, Iowa State. That is a very, very fun regional, no doubt. And, you know, again, it, it's been such a pleasure watching your teams compete over the years. It's great to finally have the chance to get you on the on the podcast here. I'll have to explore, you know, I'm going to get you back on the show. We got to talk Akron. We got to talk all these different things. Manhattan College in itself is just a legendary school. I got to, you know, there are, there are questions here i have but we'll save those for the next time coach i sincerely appreciate you taking the time to chat wishing you safety health success to you and your team of course throughout the course of this 2022 season i i appreciate the the attention you're bringing to to college tennis um that's fantastic and 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 love the the podcast and and everything you guys are doing and 
um, thanks for having me on and happy holidays uh, to everybody. Oh, I really appreciate that, Coach. Take care. Take care.